you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Wow. <laughs> An instant connection. We've had so little glitches in the last couple of weeks. Now it's perfect. It's exactly. a Thanksgiving miracle. Oh, nice background. I it's didn't change mine. <laughs> I did my comic book talk last night for my local, you know, culinary mentor group. And because I was talking about comic books, I went looking to see what was available in Zoomish format and I found the bat cave. So I thought I'd yeah. better celebrate. Yeah, so how'd that go? I listened to part of it. Uh, it actually went very well. It, we had maybe 14 participants, I think. I had thrown a little bit of publicity out there, not only for our local group, but the local mentor groups within Ohio and back in Chicago, my stomping grounds. And yet one of the reasons that we do this wonderful podcast is we're still underground. There's all kinds of geek culture that just isn't mainstream. So I wasn't announcing, hey, here's some Super Bowl highlights. I was they were talking about comic books. For the vast majority of people, they're like, wow, I like those movies. And I thought that maybe because I talked about, hey, this will give you the backstory for all those comic book movies that are setting box office records, that we get more people. And yet, it isn't only about the topic. It's also everybody has so much things, so many things that they have going on now that in order to break through their habits of, oh, no, that's when I watch Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. That's when I, because it really was right at seven o'clock. That's when I'm sitting down to dinner. I'm uh, taking the dog for a walk. It's all the media that you are competing with. It just, it's really tough to get attention. It's been like that for the last 25 years on the net. That's an attention-based economy. A lot of interesting books were written about that. And, and I don't know, I'm still of the opinion that I want it to be, hey, everybody who's there really wants to be there as compared to, oh, I got trapped that I can only get my chance at the motorbike if I watch this show. Oh, they're injecting another ad in on me. All the ways in which advertising and other time wasters there's so many of them nowadays and people who grow up with it don't realize that it used to be they just weren't that intrusive they weren't the automatic price that if you want to get this we're also going to inject this into you so if i ragged about this before i go to the bank and i hit i have a thing set up where at any time i can get an instant hundred dollars and the whole point of that is it'll take you know my my card insert one key press and i'm in or my my code and i'm in and instead they inject an ad in and if I was doing other transactions, I could see some justification for, hey, while you're doing other things and while it's, we're doing supposedly little calculations in the back room, watch this ad. Instead, they know it's an instant thing. What I want to do is get in and get out. And they, the screen, of course, doesn't show for three seconds and then go away. It makes you interact to say, yes, I'm interested or no, thank you. And, and I, every time that I do that, for the rest of the session, you know, they have a little camera on you. I, I have my finger up so that what they see of me <laughs> is my letting them know that you designed this you programmed this you're making this happen that you're stealing time from me every single time i interact like this and that's the kind of stuff that really outrages me so i didn't intend to go on a rant this morning and yet it's it's terrible it it is true it's so difficult because that's what we say with writing books you're not competing against other authors you're competing against tv shows and movies and video games and Absolutely. and they hit you so many places you know the the old cyberpunk not old cyberpunk but the cyberpunk stuff kind of pushed that with 
showing the future dystopian worlds where there's ads everywhere and on every you know, building side right. in every exactly and we've yeah. got that i i can get gas and i get little ad commercials now the first time that i was at an amusement park and it used to be they have the big serpentine line and oh no i'm there with my friends we're gonna have to talk even if we have to wait for 30 minutes we'll find things to talk about now as they have monitors up everywhere and it's like from black mirror or a bad movie there's hardly anybody talking they're all just yeah. slack-jawed, like literally mesmerized. I, I, oh, I talk with parents <laughs> about that. They're like, I, I just don't know what to do with my kid. They don't have good grades. They don't have an attention span. They don't want to go outside and play. And I'm like, okay, they're 10 years old. Let's go back five or six years. Every time they got in the car, every time you were trying to make dinner, every time they got a little restless, the first thing you did was flip on the TV or hand them Walk an iPad. Them yes. But people don't think that way and realize it, that... But over five, six years, now you've trained that kid to, that's what they do. I hear you. I think that it's, it, all of our discussions can jump around, but this seems worth mentioning. So I just read an interesting study from Psychology Today that, that did a whole bunch of meta studies. There's a template for how to study personalities of people that says for on five different um, spectra or axes, it, they explain really fully what how people are like. And, and just, when you shared it with me, it's like, oh, I just read that. And, and the acronym for it is OCEAN. It's, it's openness, it's conscientiousness, it's extroversion, it's agreeableness and neuroticism. Those are the five axes. And if you will, the good and bad ends of it. You and I being gifted folks, what they said was statistically, the only one that's really closely correlated with giftedness is openness to new experience. And that really spoke to me. In other words, I try not to be neurotic, but I know a lot of gifted people that are. And same with, I know agreeable and curmudgeons. I know extra and right. introverts, <laughs> all those things. But that curiosity, that need for novelty, it really is strong in me. And it's very much, that's what curiosity and invention and what makes for supposed acts of genius is often, you know, look at things in a different way. You put things together, see relationships that others don't in a different way. And that you're always on about that. You're always driven to do it. I don't just take things at face value. I'm always looking for what's really going on behind here. What's the pattern that could help me guess the next one. And the reason for saying all of that is those kinds of things, advertising, They've learned about mimetics and they've learned that it doesn't have to be always interesting. If they pound it into you again and again, somehow you'll just start thinking, I need a Snickers bar. It's not that Snickers is better, more tasty. Oh, that's a witty ad. If you see a witty thing 10 times in a row, and because Colleen and I often watch Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, the ads they have on there are the same. We've seen things where they're the same within the same ad block. Hulu's bad about that. They never used to do that, but for sure from night to night, or like when we not only watch that little hour, but when we watch the Olympics, full immersion network TV, oh my God, I could tell you every single car that's on sale, every single drug that's on sale, every single soft drink that's on sale, because they just fucking pound it into you. Yeah. And that so much is against my need for novelty that after I've taken it in once, I pretty much know it. After I've taken it two, three times, I've like memorized it. I could recite the gosh darn advertising and then you see it 30 more times. And I just, I, I like, I gotta get out of here. I, I can't watch this again. I don't know. That doesn't seem to kick in for everybody. A lot of people are really satisfied with maybe even uh, repetition makes them happy. They like watching the same movie again and again, or reading the same book, or they, there's a trailer and they watch that trailer well, a hundred times. Or they're not, when they're, they're watching and see the ads over and over, they're letting their, I, I don't know, 
lizard brain, sloth brain, just sit there and absorb it. They're not aggressively, they're very passive about it. They're not aggressively thinking, what am I watching? Why am I seeing this again? What does it mean? Is this a good, it's just brain is shut off. Uh, (laughs) And unfortunately it's still working on you in your subconscious. You're still thinking. And that's probably uh, better. It's probably absorbing better. It might be, and, and in a ways that, and when you, I know that there's been for a while, for 50, 60 years now, there's been things about subliminal seduction, that the way in which you can reach people is not only, as you just said, consciously, and that I'm really paying full attention, but they just put images and they're associated with either nice things or at least things that get my attention. So if I see an ad with ice cubes and there's, ooh, people making love in the ice cubes in kind of a, not exactly, but you could see it if you want to. And then next time you're at the liquor store, you're like, don't know why, but I'm picking up Jimmy Beam today. And it's because now that that liquor means sex and, or it means death, or it means things that got our attention in some ways. And I think that everybody, memetics, when it was uh, breakthrough thinking, maybe 30 years ago, the first people to really get into it were like, okay, how can we use this? How can we politically make a slogan? How can we make an advertising? How can we get into people's like through the back door so that out of the hundred choices for cigarettes, I bet you I can make cool, sell a little bit better. And advertising was always doing that about what's the image. It's not about the taste of the cigarette or the quality of the cigarette. It's if you're a Kent smoker, then you're a swashbuckling adventurer. And if you're a Salem smoker, then you like the outdoors or whatever. Was it Jay Conrad, I believe, that did the guerrilla marketing? He tells the story about the Marlboro cigarettes that back in the day, they were considered a girl's cigarette. Women smoked it. They weren't anything that and they spent two years advertising the cowboy and pushing and now that's all everybody thinks about that's and all everything so. tough exactly yeah totally changed Perfect the image. example you know what i mean and every other every car is not that the kind of car it is the way it looks the spokesperson they get for it it's what station are you in life are you you know an, an aggressive driver are you a, i've made it man and you want to show off that thing because now yep. everybody's going to notice my mercedes my bmw my you want know I mean? that's one of those things that the price points for those kinds of things are not at all based on the difference in what it took to produce them or necessarily the quality of the vehicle. It's all based on your social standing that yep. this is look at me in this car, you know? And, yep. and that's why I've been uh, watching and reading and seeing interviews with Ryan Reynolds and, and the advertising marketing he's doing because he, he does it with a totally different thought process and he does it for today's world because people want to share the advertising. They want to, what him and Jack, Hugh Jackman did for the coffee and gin companies, it was more like TikTok videos than advertising, but they, he clawed right. the aviation gin sales in a year and ended up selling the company for $60 million or, and he bought it for 14 million or something, you know, along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I've not read enough about that. I just read recently about what a successful business person he is. And I think that's really interesting when you find out that Keanu Reeves, Danny DeVito, that they weren't just memorable actors. They played a specific type of character and they got money from being that. Sorry. (laughs) Godzilla, exactly. They they clued in early about who's really making the money here are the producers and the advertisers. And and they're still happy to get in front of the the camera and they maintain their brand, if you will, but that brand has big payoffs if you also use it in other ways. Right. So how smart, how cool that, and it does seem like what you were saying about, I don't know, another thing that we get, Colleen and I love stand-up comedy. And again, my novelty gene kicks in and says, when I have someone that like repeats a punchline, 
it really is like, man, don't worry, I got it the first time. And yet there really is a whole brand of comics that they don't have a lot of material in their hour set. They have a lot of repetition, and yet the crowd goes wild. They want to be able to have that catchphrase, hear that thing said again. They like project themselves perhaps onto this person, or I would have called that milking the joke. And instead, it really is, there's a whole new frame of mind that says, that's how you do comedy. Yeah. Uh, oh, I having just been at a comedy festival, I'm regularly going out to comedy clubs to see the difference. And I'm, I'm so much not about I don't, embracing the stereotype of that there are generational differences and so forth. But in this one way, there really might be, because I don't see many young comics that have that old school, I'll give you a lot of material in an hour. I'm not going to repeat. I'm not going to pander to the lowest common denominator. I know those all sound kind of negative, but boy, I would say that a lot of my observation, and I see a lot of it, so I think it's a reasonable, learned opinion. Uh, I think so. Wow. Same thing with comedy. <laughs> Saturday night, a friend of mine uh, invited me to go see Sebastian Bach from Skid Row. He was at okay. the, the Roxino. So I was like, oh, cool concert. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and it, it, we were impressed. He sounded great. But we got into a discussion about how, and this applies probably to comedy and many things, how rock and roll is no longer dangerous. That rock and roll itself is dead. It's very corporate. It's very clean. You don't hear about the rock and rollers destroying hotel rooms or pissing people off. Or you have the, the cleansed BTS boy bands and all sorts of stuff. So exactly. go look at the charts. There's no real good grungy rock and roll guitar bands on the charts that you know there just and, isn't and honestly that's because it's not rock and roll anymore for a while punk surfaced and had that crown and then grunge. rap and, and you know and jack and, and grunge and rap yeah. and so now you don't even look at the rock and roll charts you go look at the rap charts they're still yeah. making you know that's funny that's exactly what he said he said it's not <laughs> rock and roll it's all rap and hip-hop and variations yep. of that and i said I, I agree. We lament it because we grew up with it. That's what it should be. Yeah. But you go back to the 50s, 60s, and you probably had the exact same conversations of people who were listening to big band and Sinatra from the 30s and 40s. They're like, That's what right. is happening to our music? The British you know? invasion really was an invasion. Oh, my God. And I, I, get, I think, boy, there's people that have been got, have gotten very smart about how to package that, that this, oh, they're dangerous. You know what I mean? All the, <laughs> the young boys want to be them. The young girls want to have them, if you will. And even, I don't know, girl bands where there's, there was a time when it was the Andrew sisters and they were all very sweet. And then you changed where you started to have a dangerous Joan Jett or the, yeah, you know, the runaways. I think it's an ever-changing market. And I don't know, Alice Cooper made an entire career of being the band that your parents don't want you to see, but you're going to find a way to go. And maybe Ozzy Osbourne and various different people. And that doesn't even have to be, wow, and bear with me. What do we just have? Tragedy in Houston, Travis Scott. He's known for inciting the crowd to rush the stage. That's, it is what rock used to be. You know what I mean? The the stones at Altamont until right, they realized right, that right. people were dying. They, there's any number of times where you saw that transition from the bad boys of rock or suddenly now they're like dads and they don't want their kids to be hurt. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. They didn't sell out. It's, it's just that everybody ages and everybody slows down and everybody sting with the police used to have all kinds of fuck the crowd type stuff hey. and he got easy listening in some ways still very musically skilled but his well, new material is nowhere near what the police were in terms of edginess 
Oh, no, yeah, definitely. <laughs> they were ska, punk. Yeah. He turned into uh, adult-oriented rock as time Absolutely. went by. Yeah. And, and it's funny. I mentioned Kiss. I'm like, back in the day, Kiss was Satan. They protested against it. And it was their costumes. Because, man, <laughs> I swear to God, if you didn't tell me it was Kiss, and I had never heard them, and I'm listening to it, and I'm like, oh, that's standard bubblegum pop. <laughs> it really Absolutely. is. Absolutely. It know? was very much the image. And wearing yeah. the paint, as they say, exactly. And, and it made me think <laughs> of Metallica. Uh, because I saw a meme where it showed this kid dressed in leather with chains and just all done up and says, this is a Metallica fan. Then it showed Metallica's lead singer, James Hetfield, in shorts and flip-flops carrying a Gucci bag. Carrying a you Gucci know, bag. Yeah. I'm seeing exactly that image. That's right. And, and now Metallica <laughs> is on Masterclass doing a class on being a band. And I'm How like, to be a band. Yeah. You know, if you're, that sounds more like a sellout than anything else. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, a lot of cases, it's not even having to be angry and dangerous, but it just is always the rebellion, standard stuff. So Lady Gaga has been that, you know, for the, and now she's fading from that role. Before that it was madonna and i i, I don't always remember what we've talked about i remember early on seeing a, an interview of young ladies getting ready to go see a madonna concert and they were like so why do you like madonna so she's so innovative she lets us be ourselves and there they were all dressed exactly as madonna you know what i mean with the right, little right. gloves the, the lacy and it was like wow you're missing the point you should maybe all be not the same egg in the box you should be <laughs> yes exactly, you know what i mean yeah so it's funny that rebellion it breeds its own destruction because after all everybody wants to be and look like you and then you start to get conformity to that new mode it's not always non-conformity when i was in middle school I got teased because I had holes in my jeans. My knees were holes. I wasn't okay. doing it to be rebellious. I wasn't trying to be some metal child or anything like that. Right. I just thought they were comfortable and didn't care if I had holes in them because I didn't want to go buy new jeans. That okay. was really it. Let's fast forward to the end of high school. Suddenly everybody's getting buying jeans already with holes in them because it's cool. Right. And, and you, you were know, fashion forward. Who knew that you were going to be the trendsetter? Yeah. So I was teased then, <laughs> but I was the geek in high school, even though I was four years ahead of them, whatever. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's funny. I really, boy, long time ago, I remember reading Gilda Radner saying, so where do you get your sense, your fashion sense from? And she goes, I like to wear what doesn't itch. <laughs> that was her concern. And I, I've always been like that. I very much was why did I wear jeans and t-shirts in college? It wasn't only because everybody else was doing it. It's because that was such a comfortable way, a no thought way of doing it. How did I not rebel, but stand out? I had all my concert shirts. So I represented for ELP and UK and Genesis and Tull and whatever else it might be. I Without realizing it, I don't know what's happened. But at one point I said, I'm done with jeans. I'm going to start wearing Dockers. And I don't, I, I, it wasn't because, oh no, I'm growing up and I want to look like a, a, an Abercrombie and Fitch or a Benetton ad. It was just like, I, whatever, I wear lounge pants a lot for the last 20 years. And I don't even know what started that. I think my <laughs> younger brother gave me a pair that had Dr. Seuss characters on. And it's okay, a 40 year old guy wearing Dr. Seuss characters. It's funny. It's just, I, and as I've been wearing them, I've been watching the world catch up to me in the same way that you described. <laughs> right. There's all kinds of people nowadays that are wearing pajamas in public. And of course, when people comment on us, what kind of man would wear pajamas? These are lounge pants. Clearly, they're fashion statements. Right. We'll they're change the title. That a rose yeah. by any other name is completely different. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fun to be like, uh, where I was shopping kind of changed. Where am I going to find lounge pants? At kiosks in the mall at Christmas, at Target and Cole and right. other places that, I don't know, 
another thing for lounge pants might be, I just started to care about comfort. And when I got uh, bigger around the waist, you can always cinch up a pair of drawstring <laughs> lounge pants. Right. I don't think I did that as only a concession to, okay, now I'm chubby, et cetera. I really did because I like wearing one day Mickey Mouse, one day skull, right, right. one day Black Panther pants to go into Comic-Cons and finding out they didn't just have t-shirts, but they started to have lounge pants for me. It's, I'll wear the Hulk. I'll wear, I won't wear Ghost Rider. I hate him. But you know what I mean? I just... <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's funny because for some reason, I started getting a collection of Hawaiian shirts with stuff because they're not just the patterns yeah. you think of. They're everything. There was a guy at the concert Saturday that had every hair metal band on a Hawaiian shirt. Hawaiian and I'm like, shirt. Oh, I need that shirt. They're, exactly. they're very expressive and you can get a whole variety. So it's a thing. I, I got have one, one with guitars. It's yeah. like Hawaii, Christmas in Hawaii. I, I feel like my grandfather, actually, because he used to wear <laughs> not Hawaiian shirts, but button down shirts with uh plaid shorts cargo shorts and stuff yeah. and he wore it all year round that's funny <laughs> you know this is very i don't know that i'm unaware of fashion by that meaning i don't purposely wear plaids with stripes i don't try to say that i'm the, the king of the geeks on the block i've actually become really good at i've got many clothes and when you start to have many clothes you start to have you don't wear them out because you only wear them once a month you're not wearing them every single week colleen has found me like for instance long sleeve t-shirts like this at a local place uh called um, Marks, they have them for five or six bucks. So I have them in every color. Every time she stops by for lady products or whatever else it might be, she looks to see if they have t-shirts for me. And now I have it where, oh, this green pulls in a little bit of green from some other, like I said, the Dr. Seuss pants that I have. And so I've really become, here's a good word, choiceful. And <laughs> I'm going to at least have it be that there's they contrast or they match well or whatever else. I need. And honestly, it's not for anybody else. It's because Colleen likes it. She's she really dresses well. She's always been very good at playing to her strengths, colors that she likes, whatever she did her color. I'm a winter, whatever else it might be. It, I think that every time that she comments on, wow, you really, you, you got your girl animals matching today. You know what I mean? Your, your top goes with your pants. It's, it's for you, sweetheart. That's, you know, that's why I, do it, I want you to be, I want you to think that I'm not a total fashion. I remember wearing jeans when I was younger because I made the comment. I'm like, you know what? Everything goes with jeans. I could wear a button down. I could wear a polo i can wear a t-shirt uh doesn't matter that all goes with jeans i'm good i have a pair of black jeans that's like my go-to where i don't want to be fancy but i also as you said i will go with anything whether i have a sweatshirt on or whether i have a button down or something right yeah it's it i've worn like occasionally i'll wear a pair of lounge pants and i have this big black leather duster and it really doesn't go and yet that's the whole point is i don't care whether you think it doesn't go public but i am aware that that kind of looks like the guy that's sitting outside the schoolyard i don't want to look not only not caring but i don't want to look awful. creepy I don't yeah want to look creepy creepy exactly <laughs> the so creepy old guy I'll, I'll make a choice as to i'm just going to wear the parka today instead of my black leather coat because right. it's jarringly wrong you know hey kids look at my fun pants with dr seuss now get in the van uh, no i don't want to be that freaking guy <laughs> the other thing i've started we at gamestop and mayor places socks is another very personalized thing nowadays you can get yeah. everything personalized our cartoon socks and star wars socks and stuff but then what I do, especially when I have shorts on, I'll grab two different socks. So oh, and, and like, that, that has become a fashion thing. That's exactly, yeah. I don't do that. I still need the pair. As I, I, I was 
only did it because one of the writer things I went to, I was like, what the heck? And I did it. You're wearing two socks. I'm like, but the crazy thing is I have another pair just like it. That's a good line. Exactly. So you'll see their mates. Exactly. (laughs) I I do it even with the, like my uh, grandmother's funeral. I wore two different black socks, slight different designs. And I said, yeah, she's probably rolling over in her grave right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I, I always like, so how do we bring this back to uh, Relentless Geekery? I think that part of why this is cool is that's really where people for a long time have portrayed what band do you like? What cartoon yeah. show do you watch? What comic book do you read? When I go out with Archer on, it really isn't like an everyone knows about it type thing. But for the people that know Archer and it's, I can't hear you over the sound of my awesomeness, they're like, immediately there's a bond. They know, I like it, they like it. So in some ways it's signaling. Some people, I I wouldn't call it virtue signaling, but, and it's kind of, I hardly, I don't think I ever wear a shirt that has a square word on it. Because even though I am quite ribald in my vocabulary, I swear all the fucking time, I want it to be my choice as to when I say that, not that everyone that sees me that day from little old lady to school kid to my best friend, I don't want them to see fuck on me. It's not right. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I do know that's not how I want to represent myself. Yes, so exactly. All these things that really are just like trying to tweak the public a little bit to show that I don't care. And that way I do. I, I don't. Anyway, (laughs) I I agree. And I get that. And I think everything, the shirts, the socks, that's been the month. Because when we were younger, if you saw an old guy wearing uh, knee high black socks uh, with (laughs) tennis shoes or flip flops and sandals, Sandals. but now wearing black socks with shorts is like a thing. It's a sports thing. They put sports socks out like that. (laughs) You know what? I hardly ever do that. I, it's kind of funny. I dress like an aging jock. And I don't know that I've ever been a job. But most of the time I have, as if I'm going to work out, I have all kinds of muscle shirts. I have all kinds of gym pants. And I almost always wear gym shoes. I hardly ever wear leather shoes. I wear boots to go hiking in. It's a matter of utility, if you will, not of fashion. So anybody who would see me would be a football hero. He's a big guy. Can't quite give up on it. That's why he dresses. No, it's because they're so comfortable and they're easy to find everywhere. Right. And, and, and for a reasonable price. So that's another thing is that I just can't stand the thought of paying like 50 bucks for a pair of jeans when I know I can get them for 20 or whatever else. And maybe I'm dating myself. Prices have gone up. But the first time that we're buying designer jeans is like they're they were designed to be rough and ready. They're designed right. to be what you wear when you're mining for gold. Right. Meant to be, you know, with Gloria Vanderbilt or something like that. That's why I, <laughs> I go to the thrift stores. There's one in Cuyahoga Falls that I, when I go, I look for like jeans or pants in my size, but then I look at the labels. It sounds stupid, but if I'm going to pay three bucks, I'll get the ones that were originally $80 and might last a little longer. And then I go through all the yep. t-shirts and I'm like, I like that band. I like that band, Star Wars. <laughs> so I get, I, I'm like, come home. I just spent $30 and I've got a year's worth of new shirts and jeans. <laughs> it's, 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 it's funny. I don't do that as often. Every time I do it, I think I should do this more often. Right. But what I've also discovered is you go into this place and it's loaded with clothing, but because I'm like a 3X, you immediately go to that kind of short little division between <laughs> the 2X and the 3X world. And I'm like, I hope I find something, but there's no guarantee that I will. There, and- there's more of it though. <laughs> like the one in Kaiga Falls has as much of a rack as other sizes. Interesting. Uh, so it's kind of area of the country. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. my moving to Cleveland would have well, been, hey, there's all kinds of Browns fans that, that so- love their hot dogs and with their stadium mustard. <laughs> so they got the big and tall racks and stuff. But the thing is, and I know this is ethnicity and sounds like a stereotype, but almost everybody that works there 
is Mexican. They speak Spanish. They don't even speak English. So they're oh. all shorter, but they've got just as much big and tall clothes. Maybe it's because they like take some of it before it gets out. I don't know. There's That's less funny. of the other yeah. sizes. Yeah. It's so weird because there's a lot of big and tall stuff there. Yeah. It, it's I maybe because I haven't found it as much in the resale stores. I started to go to maybe M. Hyman and Sons and there's certain places that cater to big and tall men. But even then, uh, the prices weren't that great. What I discovered, so Colleen and I have driven many times back and forth to Chicago and back for Halloween and for visiting friends and all that kind of stuff, even though I'm now 20 years out of town. Um, Midway in Indiana, there's a place that's a, a big and tall store that has the best selection that I've ever seen. And the downside of it is they're closed on Sundays. And so for coming back from Chicago all the time, I'm like, oh, I would so much stop there. It's right yeah. off the road. And so I, sometimes when we've stayed over Sunday night, it's yay, Monday, I get this place. It's, and I, 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 I want to shout out to them to say, hey, everybody, you should go there. But I've been, like you were saying, I've gone there and found, uh, all kinds of pants, all kinds of tuxedo shirts. When I was looking to dress up a little bit fancier, a tuxedo shirt for eight bucks. It's like, why? Well, as long as I'm here, I'll buy three. That way, if I, I'll never, I've had a tuxedo shirt where it seems, because I often wear them for pretentious drinking, and then I spill something on it. And for whatever reason, this stuff is persistent, like grape juice. It doesn't wash out. And now I, I had, I, I got a chance to wear this once and I'm going to have this. Can I hide it with a spider or a tie? What can I do to make it so I get no, this? Now, now it's a Halloween costume. Now you look like a, now cut it up or whatever, look like a zombie or paintball I, I shirt. Or... Exactly. I could shred it as if I got attacked. Right, or something. right, right. But uh, yeah, anyway, why am I not thinking of the name of this place? It'll come out later. It, but uh, uh, but it, it's near Elkhart, if I remember right, which okay. is like the RV capital of the world. It's funny when you <laughs> discover, like, I'm not even sure. I mean, they must have billboards that first said, oh, let's stop at this place. Just like we've often stopped for, here's an interesting museum that I wouldn't have known about otherwise, but it says Spam Museum, so we're going to check it out. And and what sometimes when you do that and discover that it's really a good place, it's so weird to have like, I don't know, there's certain restaurants also in the middle of nowhere that we discovered that we can go out of our way to go back to because it's been a year since I had their bushwhack burger or whatever else it might be. We're, <laughs> we're still planning and trying to uh, get down to uh, Hillbilly Hot Dog. want to go there, definitely. It's really, you get the same thing every time you go there. It's, yeah, that's why I go there because I haven't had that taste in two years. Right. And my sense memory is, we need to go and get this. It's so funny. Oh, So we missed this last week. We ran out of time, but you sat in on some Wired sessions, uh, exactly. Wired magazines. The there, so, yeah, that was a clean, smooth, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fashion so, hot yeah, dogs. Exactly. And... <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is I love my mom and dad. Anyway, so... <laughs> So I've been reading Wired magazine forever. And, you know, I kind of, yeah, I read a quote once where someone said, hey, what's that you're reading? And the guy said, it's the next five years of life as we know it. And I've often found that to be the case. They're very good at taking tech and explaining it or taking tech and extrapolating as to here's what they're doing now. Where could this be going? They introduce you to the giants of the field. So you really get to know what's going on in Elon Musk's head, in, in Dean Kamen's, in Stephen Jobs, whatever else it might be. They have had a conference last year, which I missed because I think most other things must have been going on. But this year called Rewired, where... They, they're very good at getting like the leading proponents of various different things and having a good interview, a good panel discussion with them. So this year, it really was, so what are the big tech issues or at least tech interests that are creating the world? Here's stuff about artificial intelligence. Here's stuff about cryptocurrency. Here's how we're using tech to fight global warming. And so when they're going to have things about how the government is going, what's the government doing to use tech? 
They have the head of the Office of Cybersecurity for the United States. It's not just a dilettante. It's people that really know this. Right. If they're going to talk about autonomous driving, they get the people from Nissan and Ford and Toyota to talk about what these companies are doing to create the next world. And so very high quality, a whole day of sessions, probably either six or eight. The interviewers are very canny. They really listen. They don't just have you know canned pre-written questions. They're, it was high quality. I, I often don't have I like to read transcripts as opposed to watch because there's, I take in information more quickly Faster, and more yeah. completely that way. But I really wanted to do that immersive experience of kind of get to know these people and a little bit of, do I really believe them? People can be very glib when they're saying sound bites in front of a camera for 30 seconds or when they write something up. But when a good interviewer is asking probing questions, you get to see, if you will, whether they really know their stuff. And I, there were, there was uh, only one was I unimpressed with maybe because she was a little like giddy. You don't have to be serious and stentorian in what you're saying, but there has to be at least a little bit of your thoughts can't flit. They have to match and come together and build towards a conclusion. And hers didn't, they were very scattershot. Even if she was saying 10, 20, 30 interesting things, they didn't seem to be of a corpus of massive data that it's, here's the ways of Socratic dialogue. You work your way through five yeses to get to the big yes. Hers didn't seem to have that coherence, if you will. But having said that, it also really reassured me about the world. The world is having so many difficulties. And yet one of the reasons that I have always liked tech is because it really is solving problems. It's not only to make money. The world is getting better because we have they had a great session about vaccination and about messenger RNA and how the all the research that went into it really was like serious R&D with no payoff for about 20 years before they started to have the computer power that could mimic things, that could model things correctly, and the ability to distinguish between a billion different combinations of things and narrow down. We've often talked about how do you do the search for a solution set? It's not just brute force. It's getting smarter about how to do your search. And so even just a the conversations about how they pursued these solutions are itself like very reassuring that, boy, there really are smart people out there and they really are doing good work. And it really might be that sometimes you get the asshole who's going to charge more for insulin than they should because they bought the patent and that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, all kinds of people are doing wonderful disruptive things to make it so that we might not need insulin. We might be able to finally really cure AIDS, really cure COVID, really cure, and the advancements in autonomous driving, the advancements in AI, and it's not just meant so, like, how can we sell things? How can we target ads to you more? It's more, wow, vast data that we really can't make sense of unless you have a machine that never tires, that looks for patterns without any preconceptions and stuff like that. And I just, so I, I, I have come away with the world's going to keep getting better and better. And I have all kinds of things that I often say, the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And they absolutely show that. So much my concern has been about COVID. How do I get my friends all vaccinated, my family, my, uh, my neighborhood, my city, my state, my country, but in the world, 7 billion of us, 80% are still not vaccinated. 80% are still like if COVID gets loose in parts of Asia, parts of Africa, South America, where the population is dense and it's not easy to deliver such solutions, we might have only seen just the tip of the iceberg in terms of how truly pandemic, truly devastating this could be. 
And so them talking that it's not about now we have the solution in terms of the various different vaccines. Now it's a logistics problem. How do we get it out? How do we get it to as many people as possible and preserve the profit motive? Capitalism is good, but you don't have to make all the money if you're going to say, if I'm thinking about who do I want as my customers in the next lifetime, don't kill off half of them. You know what I mean? Saying something as obvious as that is like, how is that revolutionary? How is that? Let's discuss further. It's preserving life, a big old thing. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> I'm oh. very cynical in, in re, when you start talking about corporate greed and people looking to make money. I get extremely cynical about those. Because yeah. <laughs> look and, at all the examples we have. People, uh, I, I love using Bill Gates because I can defend him a lot. People say, oh, look at him. He made all this money. Okay, he did. But look at what Windows really did. It allowed anyone to buy a PC and then any manufacturer to make a product that worked on it. Compatible. And I could choose who I wanted. So it really opened up the marketing. Yes, it meant everybody was on this one thing. But just think if we go back to the 80s where my version of computer with OS did not work with yours. So we couldn't uh, use the That's same right. program. Yeah. There, there's yeah. so many benefits to what he did. And oh. now look at what he does, how philanthropic he is, how many things he bought, how much farmland over the last couple of years, because they're working on ways to improve crops and help farmers. And so he's the Your biggest, get rid yeah. of river blindness, get rid of it was absolutely yeah, malaria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So many things he does that you don't hear certain others like Trump doing at all. Right. You know, I have much more admiration for him now than 25 years ago. He really right. was a, a strong competitor, a rapacious capitalist in many ways. Yes. When, when they started to get to where Windows wasn't fighting the fight in the market, but was fighting it via lawyers and via tying agreements and things that are skating on that edge of uh-huh. competitive behavior and so forth. I really was like, and yet he has so much, maybe like he's the Jimmy Carter of tech. <laughs> he has so much grown into a better human being with him and his wife, now ex-wife, where they really did like, what do, what can money do? Right. They can take on big problems that that and we I'm not get international cooperation on. We really can pursue these things without only a profit motive, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm not condoning yeah. any of the <clears throat> actions of corporations, but it seems like they all do some of the same types of things. It, it, look at Disney. Look at all the negative things I've heard about Disney Corporation recently. Is the Magic Kingdom wonderful, great, and magical? Yes, absolutely. Are the movies super, especially some of the Marvel stuff lately? Absolutely. Right. But when they won't pay the authors of the Star Wars books because we didn't buy the contracts, just the property. That's a schemey corporate thing. In fact, I think it was in Wired Magazine that I saw the phrase, the senator from Disney. You know what I mean? (laughs) They were some of the first people to like make sure that there were laws on the books that were specifically benefiting them. Right. Expanding copyright from 15 to 31 to like now it's 84 years, 96 years. I've lost track of it. And the fact that they were the ones that were great at taking characters that were in the public domain like ariel the little mermaid like pocahontas all the various different disney princesses now instead of it being that you can get the book from project gutenberg and everybody gets to share in that their particular incarnation that they made that's copyrighted and they will defend that harshly the little mermaid from hans christian anderson they think of the little mermaid the disney animation if people don't see the problem that most of our politicians are also big business owners and in you know investors and stuff if you that don't see that problem then, yeah, yeah yeah it's a it i don't always to follow the money 
there's so many ways, the best way to explain how people are voting is not, they came from a different background, they have a different conscience, they, et cetera. It's more like, who are their donors? Where did they get a lot of money from? And there, there always have been the big list of who the various different donors are. What I always find most interesting, I guess, most condemning about corporations is they don't necessarily pick which one they want to win. They donate heavily to both. So no matter who gets into office, they've still got their hook. At least they got their little bit of favoritism into them. And I can see how it doesn't, it isn't that you buy a person, but in all those little ways, the incremental, why not this little thing that I'll give them? Why not making sure that in the latest budget, there is indeed a set aside of some kind. There is indeed a law that says, yeah, um, we're going to make sure that steel is built correctly everywhere according to these safety specifications, but we'll grandfather in these various different facilities. And funny how all those facilities are owned by one big corporation. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's so obvious. And yet, even when the truth comes out, there's not time to get out the tar and feathers. Time to get out, like, ride this which, guy out of town on a which, rail. There's which, the outrage that there should be over such obvious bribery and manipulation. Manipulated and unclear in today's world, because... I guarantee there are people that would say that's exactly what the Capitol riot was. That's what they were doing. Yeah, you're wrong. You don't get that. And it's ah. so often our talks tie together. Mimetics work. And yeah. you can keep putting things out there that are absolutely false, absolutely misleading. But after you get people repeating that and that there's no thing, nothing that can penetrate, that can go up against them. We've seen examples of that. We have all kinds of, I've heard the phrase, low information voters that they're not looking to learn more. They're not looking to make a better, more informed, smarter, more of looking into the future choice. They've got a phrase they're going to repeat. And they're repeating that while they're at the ballot box. <laughs> they're repeating that when they're in every conversation. And so every time that you hear any, any people coming together to do something, it's socialism. It's like, no, that's helping your nature. That, that's, that's you and your neighbor are going to make sure that there's no reason for everybody to have this tool. If I get a tool that all five of us will share and we share the cost, that's not socialism. That's cooperation. That's yeah. being a decent human being in the situation of why would we each have one when we're only going to use it two days out of the year? It, the fact that it immediately goes to ends of the spectrum instead of losing any nuance, any discussion, it, it really weirds me out sometimes to see how quickly people <laughs> jump to oh, the label. And it's like, and you've seen the list of what do we really have that is socialism? You mean like police departments? Right. Like the road system that we built? All the things that we have that we share that are absolutely valuable, invaluable. We can't live without roads nowadays. We can't live without libraries and police and fire. Insurance companies are a way of spreading risk like socialism you know what I mean? oh boy so what the, the the episode today is all about is steven's cynicism so, <laughs> before we get too cynical True. the wired webinars what's the most coolest extraordinary thing that they talked about that you saw that you're excited about i mrna the technology behind what's allowing us to get um over covid is incredibly extensible. There's understanding how things work at that molecular level, understanding how life works, how do our bodies really function, how, do, how can we understand it enough to mimic certain processes that we can actually turn our own cells into little engines of protective cells. It's fascinating and incredibly heartening to know that it's not going to only be for COVID, all kinds of viruses that we've before 
only had very specific vaccines that would be able to cure them, or in, in bacteria's case, what are they called? Flan, not flange. Uh, anyway, the technology behind it is one of those things that when you have a breakthrough that says, I not only understand this, I understand that this model that I have, I can just reposition it to look at Will we finally be able to cure the common cold? We'll be able to cure malaria. There are certain diseases that ravage the world in ways that we don't have them in the United States because they're based on unclean drinking water or something. Right. If we get to where we really have vaccines or that can stop it from happening or pills that can cure river blindness and diphtheria and things that we already have the DTAP right? Vaccine right, is right. meant to be curing that, but the developing world does not have a lot of protection from the outbreaks like Ebola, any number of things that jump from animals to humans that now, instead of being, oh man, it's going to take two years to study this enough to know what happened and then try a whole bunch of experiments to find out what might work. Now it looks like there might be able to do something just happened. Here's a cure in a week and, and prove that it works and then roll it out in mass production that, that changes so much of why we are now living until let's see 78 and 82 as male and female right. is not because we've become hardier smarter etc it's because of public health because we cleaned our water and stopped people from dying from typhus and you know what i mean all right. that kind of stuff and the fact that we might be able to do this one of my dreams has always been can i live long enough that we're really going to be able to have life extension kick in and then instead of my getting my 78 years I might be able to get nanotechnology, smarter uh, vaccination, right. et cetera, et cetera. And that if I can stop my telomeres from shortening so that I have my own built-in ap apoptosis, cell death, that's going to kill me off. If I can find a way to circumvent that, any technology that's moving towards that, cure Alzheimer's, cure degenerative that, yeah. diseases, this seems like an amazing opportunity and I'm so heartened by them saying, not to be weird, we know we're curing COVID. We've already moved on. We're already starting to look at the other things that might be able to handle. Man, that will, like from heaven, <laughs> right. this thing coming down, at, that human people really are smart. <laughs> at at really least can overcome things. <laughs> until the corporations get a hold of it and up the price a thousand percent for every whatever. <laughs> and it really might, you know, that's all manner of dystopic future is, hey, they managed to cure death. And who's around? the top thousand rich people so they can stay rich and in charge forever. You know right. what I mean? They then withheld the solution. I really hope that will not be the case, that there's going to be just like Salk and Sabin back in polio days, they made a point of saying, this isn't for a company, this is for the world. We found a way to cure a terrifyingly bad disease that cripples and kills. And how can I, the profit motive is not what's in charge here. It's getting it out. And, and that's an argument for... <laughs> Uh, a pro of our world. It's like we always say, science is not evil or good. It's, you know, how it's used. It, and it's a with, tool like anything else. Right, exactly. with, with yeah. the media, with the internet, with the tools people have, if somebody discovers this and they can get it out, that there may not be time for a corporation to get in. But the problem is you get these kids doing this research in college and they're being sponsored by a company and the company's everything is ours. But right. we're paying. So it's it is a minefield to get from 
new developments to making sure that it really is overall to the benefit of humanity. And really, there's got to be a medium, right? There's got to be a way that it's not only about corporation and not only about altruism, that it's somewhere, yes, you made money and you made the right amount of money for the wonderful thing that you've done, but we also priced it so that we could save the maximum number of lives given circumstance. Right. There's got to be, a, that's what economics is, right? It's that utility <laughs> curve. Of, that's what know. economics used to be. I think it's probably well, different now. And, and that's true. <laughs> and speaking of saving the world, yeah. what'd you think of the Eternals? <laughs> you know what? So I liked it, but didn't love it. What I really liked about it was it's different than every other Marvel movie. Instead of being Biff Bam Pow, a bunch of heroes fighting villains and of, of various different skills and various different evils, it was very philosophical. It was like, why are we here? How did life on Earth come to be? Are there things going on besides um, evolution and besides God that there could have been? The universe is a big old place, and perhaps the celestials did indeed come to earth and look at us as a lab a toy and that them being so amazingly omniscient omnipotent powerful at least that they seeded us with the eternals to shepherd humanity and that they have a little bit of the star trek first priority of do not interact with right. native species do no harm etc but that maybe also the watcher that when things finally get so serious that you might need to interact it's not only a matter of fighting the deviants who are at the opposite side of the coin it's a matter of when you know what could really help humanity and you've come to love us because everybody loves their favorite pets, <laughs> you don't want to not to watch while your doggy runs See, into traffic. You want to save them. <laughs> my, my problem with the movie was they never asked or talked to the white mice to find out really what was going on. What was going on. <laughs> right. Exactly. Pan-dimensional <laughs> beings, hyper-intelligent. Right. That's right. So I, I thought my, my, I, again, like you, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I was like, eh, okay. Um, I, I just felt the the conflict, the problem wasn't brought out strong enough. I, I, even at the end when the ancient celestials coming up out of the ocean and stuff, I wasn't like, oh my God. He's, I was like, yeah, that looks cool. They didn't have that. And I thought that ancient. was really awesome to see it like cool. mounds of rock. Are it was, it was almost there. exactly from the comics. <laughs> I What I also liked was, Special effects have gotten to this wonderful place now where they really aren't like green screen. Oh, there's a little shimmer around what's going on. They're so well integrated that you really can see super speed looks like it should. Yeah. Power casting looks like it should. Mind control of like people just going a little bit blank. They really have managed to capture where it's not jarringly. Oh, look at the special effect. It's just part of the flow of what's going on. And I really love that magic becomes mundane enough that you just accept it that you just it's not that's not the point of the movie now they actually have to up their game there's not a special effects showcase it's actually got to have plot and right. protagonist and antagonist and <laughs> yeah come to a more satisfying ending like you were saying that it wasn't i i thought again i before i saw the movie i read the comic books kirby had multiple versions of this you know in dc he created the new gods and the forever people and that whole thing with apocalypse and new genesis and then he came back and did it again here at Marvel with the Eternals. The fact that there's a secret race of powerful beings that have been hiding and what they chose to reveal themselves. But you would have thought that's okay, that mountain that should have exploded, that volcano that didn't, how do we account for that? You would have thought that any number of our superheroes would have been saying, we got to investigate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so, something everybody brings up. Like how do all these things really tie in? I bring up that. Speak, 
Yeah, they speak uh, to him. Why didn't you deal with Thanos? You know what I mean? Right. You're the all-powerful, etc. Why didn't you stop that from happening? <laughs> right, yeah. We're supposed to not do that. Really? <laughs> that seemed like a big event. Not, right, you to know, kill just... billions and skillions and, you know, don't right. get billions of people. You're going to sit back and watch it happen. Yeah, it, some of that was a little weak. But again, I go back to if they had thought of some of the five, six, seven years ago, they could have just peppered a few things in with the other stuff. That would have made this stronger just from that. This was that guy. What's going on over there? Along with that, there are tons and tons of new movies and shows coming out with all the trailers. Because in a week, we get a Hawkeye, which I'm super excited about. We talked about. But let's see. So in the past week or so, there's been the uh, new Spider-Man trailer, different one. Uh, And teasers up until now, but now this is the official getting ready for the marketing campaign to begin trailer. Right, right. So (laughs) you like that one. I liked it. Why did you like it? I thought it it was fantastic. One of my complaints about Spider-Man movies in the past has been, he's got enough supervillains that you could just build a whole movie around that one supervillain instead of throwing always the Sinister Six at him. (laughs) Batman suffers from that even more, if you will. But in this case, because and I don't you know if you watch the trailer, this isn't a oh, spoiler. Yeah. It's they made a mistake. Him and Doctor Strange trying trying to make it that Peter Parker could have his privacy back and not have everybody in the world know he was Spider-Man. But that went wrong and it's actually caused a rupture in reality and universes in the multiverse are colliding. And so you're seeing not only other versions of him, Spider-Man, in various different utopian or dystopian futures, but various other villains. And when they come through, if you will, they're not always aware as to what's happened. So they just want to kill Spider-Man, but that's not their Spider-Man. So the fact that they've had appearances from, let's see, Dr. Octopus, the Green Goblin, Electro, I'm trying to think of the Lizard, Sandman, exactly. And so I think what's going to be interesting is it's not the cobbled together, hey, um, a mastermind put us together and we're all going to attack Spider-Man. The villains all seem as confused and actually victims as much as Spidey does. And so I'm just, I'm very much looking forward to all those interactions. And I I don't know how they kept it all straight to see the Miles Morales version, the, the armored right. version, all the various things. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just, in the overall, I can't wait to see what happens. I'm so curious as to the craft that went into this to make it that it's, he sure looks been battered. You know what I mean? Yes. There's always a certain amount of wisecracking. Oh, he's a, just, just a lark. He's a teenage kid. It sure looks like he's aware that his life is screwed and it's not getting any better. And how am I going to get out of this? And my loved ones are in danger. And Spider-Man has always been, he's indomitable, but it's also been that he gets through it with, I can always kind of laugh my way. How do you laugh through the end of the universe, the end of the multiverse? Yeah. The first thing I said after watching that trailer was this looks like an extremely classic 70s amazing spider-man story that peter is everyone's beaten on peter at the beginning so he tries to fix and change things and it gets worse and then he takes complete responsibility (laughs) and every he's got to be the one to fix it all for everybody else and by doing so it's going to make his life worse and that's exactly what this is it's 70s spider-man all the way that's a very good observation then then Is he going to save Mary Jane or is she going to do a Gwen Stacy off right, that bridge? Snap of the neck. Oh, yeah. A lot of gravity involved. Oh, He's no. reaching. It's not a spider web. <laughs> He's reaching for her, but you don't know. That's how they end the trailer. Colin said, 
that he was waiting for Green Goblin to come in and snatch her as she fell. And they cut it, so it still could happen. But so it could still happen. I'm excited. Up on the top of the roof, exactly yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. And, and then Moon Knight, did you see that trailer? I did. And you know what? I really am. I love that character. And there's been so many great versions of him from people I love. The Warren Ellis version. And the, uh, Anyway, the, the trailer didn't have that for me. It really? didn't do enough a reveal of moon power of him not being all well and not they being did they did a hint at that yeah. a little bit uh, but that, nowhere near obvious of like him being in very different identities and him like him talking to himself as if he's talking to Konshu. Right. do you know what i mean it, like they haven't it, revealed enough as to what's going on with that character and what makes him really good in right. the Marvel universe. It, it was just so, a 30 second reveal so it's not a, a real trailer right. per se yet we still got okay. like a year and a half even before that's yeah. out it had good so, ominous scenes like him being in the white cape and jumping from building to yeah. building or him rising up I, I gotta say this i don't know why but i've never warmed to oscar isaac Really? I've seen him in tons of movies and I've liked him, but I don't, maybe he's a little bit like Gary Oldman where he so inhabits a role that he doesn't stand out from the role mm. that I admire the craft of him being able to immerse himself as a folk singer or apocalypse or whatever else it might be. But from the X-Men movie, he was apocalypse. Did I ever feel that he was like galactic, menacing, manipulating the fate of humanity i didn't think that he chewed enough scenery i didn't think he had enough murder in his eyes or enough coldness in his eyes that he was capable of murder he just there's a blank there to him huh. like i don't know i i'm looking for more from him harvey Hike Keitel was like that for me from a long time until i saw him in a movie called bad lieutenant where he really acted and really was tortured and it was, okay, this guy really does have some chops. He's not just sleepwalking through every role, not playing himself in every role. And maybe I, sorry, Harvey, if you're listening, I really do like you and admire <laughs> I'm you. I'm sure he is. He's one of the three. When you do these things, they go out there forever. Uh, yeah, someone will pick up on some it. Some good friend of him is going to say, hey, this guy in a fucking lime green shirt is dissing you on the podcast. You know, you, <laughs> right? I, he's been in all kinds of great movies and Chinatown, whatever else it might be, but somehow he didn't distinguish himself for a long time until I saw him in a specific role or until he had enough roles under his belt that he stopped being young and be a seasoned actor or something. So anyway. that's not just a, a slam and trolling. It's a constructive criticism. It really is. There's a completely different. Yeah, exactly. 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 You know, it's, just that. it's it, the fact that, I, for instance, some people, when they inhabit a role, you realize I can't see anybody now, but Tony Stark is indeed Robert Downey Jr. He was yes. so good at that role. And, and sometimes that's not the case that like when they shifted between Batman, it really is. I've, I guess I haven't seen anybody that was so much Batman that you couldn't indeed try another one. Honestly, you know Patterson's I mean? looking really good. I'm excited for that. So, that's a, that trailer has been out for a while now. And indeed that looks nicely dark, yeah. nicely vengeful, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Exactly. All right. So before we go, did you see She-Hulk trailer? And this is a TV show, not a movie. That's right. In fact, She-Hulk and Moon Knight, from what I understand, are both TV shows, right? Oh, it's Moon Knight is too? Oh, that's right, because right. I even said that's good because we need that time to develop all his craziness. You can't do exactly. it into our movie. It will be better episodically than it will be, just yeah. like Jeff Jennifer Jones was really good to build to what was going on with her instead of trying to cram it into two hours. I thought She-Hulk looked good, but there wasn't any hulking out yet. There no, wasn't it, any, like, where's the throwing of the car? When they, she talks about, you won't like me when I'm angry. 
don't you want the payoff of and then she got angry again it's a a reveal we'll (laughs) see uh though colin i don't know this actress i don't know much about her if she's been in other things i don't remember her from them so i'm hoping that she does well i I do that though actually and colin pointed out that he really likes her breaking the fourth wall the deadpool stuff even though he said she did it first but interesting okay yeah i like mark ruffalo as the hulk and even though he's a smart Hulk that has to learn to master himself and stuff like that, yet the Hulk is one of those where a whole bunch of people are in that role that didn't really grab me. And I really like Edward Norton and I was expecting yeah. him to be better. And instead he wasn't. And who was it? Eric Bana, I think also. Yeah. Just all the way back to Bill Bixby. Um, Mark Ruffalo really has captured a lot of the torture of being the Jekyll to Mr. Hyde when Mr. Hyde can like crack the planet into how much self-control do you have to maintain? Right. So, Anyway. Yeah. So I, I, actually, can I show one more thing? Absolutely. For Ragnarok, as you might remember, he finds himself on a planet captured. He's going to have to fight a gladiator, yeah. gladiator contest, and so forth. The Hulk shows up. The line where he goes, "Hey, I know this guy. He's a friend <laughs> from work." That was not scripted. They had a kid from the Make a Wish Foundation on set that day, and they're the one that said you should say this line. Oh my gosh, that's lines in that movie, if not all of Marveldom. (laughs) And it was a little kid saying, Hey, this would be good. This would be funny. So I I don't remember the child's name. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't pay true tribute to them. And I'm hoping that Make a Wish was like, I hope that they're still around because sometimes Make a Wish is. uh, Yeah. So, you know, but but what a tribute that they are forever immortalized by one of the best lines ever in a Marvel movie. I didn't know that. There. Even better. Yeah. And, and the fact that they even <laughs> did that, I love that so much of those things have become ad lib. They talk about all the ad lib parts because exactly. the characters are so known to the actors by that point. And they, really true. Have... They, they can speak as that character and can and have a little bit of comic relief or a little bit of even more serious than it was intended right. because that's how they're feeling in that scene. You know? so, supposedly in the first Avengers movie where Robert Downey Jr. goes that man's playing Galaga didn't think we'd notice but we did supposedly that's ad lib that also in between takes those were real computers and the guy sitting at that one just started playing Galaga he hacked into it and, that's and, hilarious. and so I was like if, if it's true and with RDJ eating like the blueberries and stuff he did that not the the producer director he just would get things and put them around the set so he could snack on them in between stuff and it became part of it and became part of him that's very interesting yeah you know it's funny sometimes i don't like the behind the scenes stuff because i don't want to see the sausage being made i'm i love having the fantasy made yeah but then you read wonderful stories one of my favorites is from blade runner rutger hauer wrote his ending speech himself whatever was in the script he said this just isn't good enough. I think I can do better. And he went off behind the scenery and came back in 15 minutes with this perfect, I've seen a tax ship off the shoulder of a rock. You know what I mean? Wow. How cool is that? that That's yeah. replicate level mastery. That's fantastic. <laughs> <much> so. <laughs> All right. Before we go, uh, I'm yes. going to try and do this each week. So give us our two minute investing update. What's the hot stocks or whatever for the week? Interesting. So boy, volatility has been crazy. I used to have things regularly go from like one to 5%. And now I have regularly things go 10 to 30. Wow. Having said that, and let me think about this upstart, which I was very much about has now gone down slightly. My biggest holdings are the trade desk, Shopify, they're all doing well, and they continue to do well. You know what I mean? So like I'm talking, I have 
300 to 400% gains in some things. Wow. Um, Shopify has been blowing up. Absolutely. And for a long time. So one of the things that Motley Fool, hats off to them, they often say winners win, that a lot of times when you have a stake, you don't want to just let your stake continue to grow. If you still think that the story that it's telling now is as good or better than the story three years ago when you first invested, there's nothing wrong with throwing another thousand, throwing another 5,000 or whatever you got in your portfolio. I actually have been in some ways getting out of some things. I, I have a hundred stocks and probably 75 out of a hundred about are positive in some cases, very positive, And they're doing so well that they make my overall portfolio work. In some cases, I've been cobbing money out of certain things that like, wow, they not only, for instance, ATF pharmaceuticals, which have been working on any kind of drug stock is tough because they have to go through all the various different FDA testing and stage two, stage three, stage four. And they, if not failed, didn't have positive enough results for a drug that they had been counting on to be a breakthrough. So that market beat them. I think that I was up like 40% and now they're down 30%. So in some cases, if the story behind idea is still good, you can buy them on sale. And so I know that's more than two minutes. I know it's not as specific, but I will. <laughs> ones I just named is specifically in the top. You can't go wrong with the Trade Desk, Shopify, Tesla, DigitalOcean. Let's see. Oh, DigitalOcean. Wow. Exactly. There are certain ones, especially I tend like Amazon runs, owns a Amazon Web Services, and that's their big profit maker. But there's room in the market for places that aren't only the big, mighty Amazon. DigitalOcean is another provider of server and storage and everything else that lets small businesses get up and running. And so I tend to go with what's the guy that's still got a chance in the market to be disruptive in that smaller space. So an insurance company that I have that specializes in sporting goods stores or whatever else it might be. And they really know certain niches of the market. And so it's like, that's a good bet. In order for my my to make 500% 5X gain, they don't have to become a billion, a trillion dollar company. They just have to go from a $2 million company to a $10 million company, and they really can. So that's a lot of my interesting bets are small cap growth companies that really have the right management and the right competitive advantage against other people in their same market, a compelling product that is going to be breakthrough. In some cases, they're a little bit of a long shot, but if it works out, maybe not 5X, maybe 10X. So currently I'm up 320% in less than three years. Nice. That's That's pretty good. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's off to Motley Fool, a little bit to Tradesmith, where I've gotten my information and what I've done to continually be digesting and taking those kinds of things in. I I still have confidence that for almost even, even, I don't know, Peloton took a big hit. They might really be one of the ones where there's only so much market for exercise machinery. And it might be that their, their story is now going to still continue to be a good gain, but maybe the 5X gain is not there for them anymore. Right. So I'm worried about them. So sometimes not only my recommendations, but my disc recommendations might be just as handy. When I'm down 50% in the stock, it's like, I'm holding on because I want them to make a comeback. But would I recommend getting on this because it's at sale price? No. And for instance, Zillow is a big trouble. They, Zillow, Redfin, Open Door are some of the ones that are really disrupting the real estate market in terms of how to price things accurately, how to be, they were doing a thing called iBuying, where you don't just say, I'll be the negotiator between buyers and sellers. I'll actually buy your property if we don't sell it within 30 days, or I'll just buy it outright and I'll become a big broker for real estate. Zillow has gotten entirely out of the iBuying market because the algorithms, the modeling that they did for how to make money in that market weren't working out. And they bailed out on like $2.8 billion worth of real estate. 
So they got what they could out of it, but they flooded the market in those places. And the company is still there. If you've been to the Zillow website, they're really good at what's the probable value of your house. What's other things about your community? Right. They're still a quality company, but on that big bet, they really failed. And the management that made that big bet, there's not a lot of indications that they've learned enough from it that they're <laughs> still the best management they could have in this company. Motley Fool went into a lot of good detail about not only have they tanked, but we don't know if they have a way back. You might want to go with the open moment, door. Yeah. You might want to go with Redfin. If you're going to That's the time for the competitor to, oh, now's the time to shark you know, snack on them. I don't know, Progressive Insurance, where I worked for five years as the director of databases, they, their claim to fame was they learned how to price dangerous drivers correctly. You know what I mean? Everybody right. knows how to price people that are the, the ma and pa's driving around and they just don't have accidents. For the ones where people have already had a couple accidents and need insurance still, Progressive learned how to price that appropriately so that the risk reward was the right ratio, if you will. And so that's what you want from other companies is in this era of everything can be solved via computers, kind of. Do you have smart enough people to write those algorithms, to do the modeling, to collect the right kind of data? And include and exclude the right variables so that you really do have a good model of what makes this correlated correctly. There's all kinds of companies that are doing that in the financial space, the medical space, the real estate space. You know what I mean? Their lemonade is based on that. You take out all the hassles of insurance and they're much, this is, sorry to go on. Young people really do have a thing that the world didn't exist before they were born. <laughs> Sweeping, terrible statement, but there's companies that are absolutely based on that. They're advertising consists of don't go with the company that your grandfather used they just don't know what's going on so it's not that i'm dissing the young people it's where i'm dissing the fact that they say these time-honored companies can't change with the times that they don't know how to do that's been shown quite often for 60 80 100 years and for some cases it's absolutely true and that's why disruptive technologies are good in other cases when you see what they're doing is their solution it's just like well you're just new you're not better you're, do you know what I mean? Right. You just, you're, again, you're going to win not on the basis of pricing insurance more accurately, but on the basis of advertising, on the basis of gamifying. There's ways of doing that. And yet I'm looking, I'm, I've, I've got a bet on them, but have I bet a lot because I'm certain of their story? I'm not sure. Same with PayPal versus Square versus Mercado Libra, places that are making it so that you don't have to have a bank anymore. On your phone, you can have all the financial transactionality that you need. And I'm loving that story of you don't have to have, especially in places where they can never be well served by banks, brick and mortar type places, or even like in, in Africa, in South America, in again, in, in parts of Asia, they, they don't use cash. They don't have right. banking. They have everything virtual. On their phone. And you want to be the solution that's going to be, we have guaranteed identity security. We have guaranteed con connectivity to almost all the places you want to use this. We've overcome the um, usability hurdles and the, 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 the privacy and security hurdles, those I have multiple big bets on. Mercado Libre is still looking really good. <laughs> cool, so, cool. Okay. So, All right, so for me, here's uh, the Raspberry Pi update. They just upgraded yes, the OS to uh, version 11 based okay. on Debian and huge uh, structural and underlying changes. There's probably some programs that won't be working they're they're moving more to a 64-bit overall architecture and they've okay. been 32 and there's uh, some speed changes with this but they like totally changed the underlying architecture for the window of the desktop and things right. so, so you have to do some rewriting or something. yeah exactly okay. there's some big mm -hmm. changes i don't have on my the the 
Pi that I mostly use for toying and tinkering with. I don't have anything major on there. So I'm like, okay, this weekend, time to put the new OS on and see how it goes. And, and see what breaks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But what I love about them is even back to the very first Raspberry Pis, this OS will still run on those. So you're as backwards compatible as you'll ever get with any computer right. Uh, and company. It might be that there's speed differences, as you said, and maybe some compatibility, not, not compatibility differences, but capability differences. Yes, capability, really definitely. Run, that's very cool. Yeah. Okay. And, and and they just released the Raspberry Pi Zero 2, uh, which the Zero is the cheapest, like $14 that people use for robots and stuff. Yes, so exactly. I want to so learn more about, about that. making that for the masses. Who can't afford, like, you crack a $20 right, bill. Right, and exactly. And it's computer. Yeah. That's amazing. And it runs <laughs> the whole OS. Now, the biggest difference is it doesn't have all the outputs. So you have to finagle it to get on the screens and use keyboards and stuff. Or most people just remote into it. That's how you work with those most of the time. Okay, instead of being any kind of hardwire connections or the right number of ports. Yeah, and SSH in and, and stuff good like that. to go. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So Thank you. You mentioned that you discovered, we've talked about using that mighty Raspberry Pi to do the cool Christmas that, one. That's going to be next week. We'll talk about that. I found okay, the guy. Okay. We went to a, a maker. Our teaser trailer. Here yes, we go. Yes, we went to a maker uh, festival at the library last weekend, and there was a guy. I've got his contact info right here. He does. <laughs> he had all the gear and stuff because I was looking at that. Was, okay, what do you need to be able to talk to and program 80,000 lights. Not that I'm going to right. do 80, but exactly. I don't want to do 10. Sheets, 100 by 100, but yeah. they all have to be individually addressable. Okay, so all a, a music, movie, or book of the week recommendation. You got something you really stuck out to uh, you? Let's see. So I've been really digging The Sopranos, as I mentioned, and that continues to be cool. I saw, music-wise, Nectar, A Tab in the Ocean that I just re-listened to. It's the perfect album side. It's prog rock. It's very orchestral, but it's got great washes of sound, crescendos and decrescendos. It, it has multiple movements so that it builds. It's beautiful. And it's one of those things I often put it on when I'm writing because it's got no vocals. And that really works for me. From them, from Orb, from Osric Tentacles, I love instrumental music that doesn't interfere with my language centers, <laughs> but has <laughs> energy and movement to it. And so it just inspires me. You know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, that's when I'm working on presentations or writing. So anything from Osric Tentacles or from Ed, in fact, this is funny. Christmas lists are now being exchanged. Colleen and I have, I've managed to be quite the clever boy this year. I've got <laughs> so many cool things that she's going to love, but that she, they're going to be enough of a surprise. And she's already feeling like, well, stop getting me things. It's like, I'm not trying to overwhelm you and win. I just keep finding cool things for you. So anyway, that any number of things that I don't want to buy for myself at 16 bucks, I'll take it as a gift because I really want the next Ian Anderson album, The Zealot Gene. I really want the latest Steve Hackett live album. And so I've been putting a whole bunch of stuff on my um, want list because I really do want the latest King Crimson Road box set, but oh, I just cool. haven't bought it for myself yet. I would love for Colleen to get me. <laughs> so well, hopefully I'm seeding the ground quite there well. You go. I'll, I'll, have, I'll just make out like a bandit. Every night you're like, oh man, I really would love to get that. Exactly. Wow, this is still looking good to me. <laughs> All I got to do is wait five weeks. All I got to do. Right, right. <laughs> also, I checked out a whole bunch of stuff from the library. Black Science, a cool uh, series by Jeff Lemire, was better than I expected it to be. The latest version of Captain America by Ta Nahisi Coates, who had written Black Panther very successfully. Oh. It's really good. And it's absolutely timely in terms of 
America, disenchanted, secret empire. It had a fake Captain America that everybody was so ready to go to fascism, shades of our real times, and (laughs) Captain America now having to like fight I, my doppelganger, spoiled the world, but so much of my heroism has been the trust of the people. I try to be the spirit of America. I try to be the the good guy, the Boy Scout, and that has been shattered. How do I make a comeback from that? And these are really good about all the players that are, they don't want him to make the comeback. They like the world shattered. They like being able to do maneuverings in the background. Who's still lurking? Is the Red Skull still lurking? Are the Russians moving in? Very well written. So hats off to Mr. Coates for being able to take Captain America there. That that's a good recommendation. Yeah, yeah. You haven't read those yet, man. They're really, really good. (laughs) So I've got, let's see, for music, not really music per se, but we are going to go see first snow. Um, yes, which is weekend. a Trans-Siberian Orchestra cover band. I'm so, looking forward to cover that. Very good. Yeah, we'll go with uh, First Snow as mine for the week because oh. uh, I'm getting so ready for that. Movie, we watched Red Notice on Netflix. I did too, and I should have mentioned that. That's, exactly. It was it's funny. Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds. Oh, and man. They play off of each other very well. And it's a caper movie with half a dozen different, like, what? You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> Where did good that twist. I <laughs> like that. Twist. Yeah, exactly. So good movie, fun. Uh, we, uh, yeah, normal, Gal Gadot, I should have mentioned always in there. All, yes. all good. They <laughs> done some great interviews about working together. That just made us. Ha- we have got to watch that. You know, very cool. And, I, you're right. I should have mentioned that. I think it's so, a Netflix original, right? So not yep, in theaters. It was limited time. theaters. It wasn't oh, limited. I, I didn't know that. That yeah. would have been great on the big screen. There was oh. all kinds of good chase scene spectacle. Yes, yeah. that would have been great. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, my book of the week that I'm reading is uh, Video Game Storytelling by Evan Skolnick. He's one of the guys I interviewed for my Discovered Wordsmith podcast. And yes. I'm going through this as I'm working on my talks and teachings for story in video game. And it's a fantastic book if you're interested in how to really do narrative game design story. Wonderful. So, we talked about that a little bit in the past, and that's such a skill to take something yeah. that's interactive that is a branching story and still make it that the story itself is compelling. So good yeah, for you. Totally for different. Okay. So, all right. To all end, right. I've got a trivia question. So I'll do one this week. You think of a trivia for next week. <laughs> okay. You ready? Okay. Yes. And I think we've talked about this, so you may know this one pretty easily. Since we're talking about Trans-Siberian Orchestra, what was the hair metal, heavy metal band that six, or precursed and turned into Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I actually think I know. How about Sabotage? That's it. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. Uh, I, I love that. They were I, I, a hair metal band. <laughs> well, honestly, another one that like, instead of being just a, one in a sea of hair metal, they like, there's a lot of power in this cool Christmas music. It's all Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, etc. Let's see what we can do with this. And that yeah. they found a very good niche for a band that can tour like two months out of the year and make all the money as if they toured all well, year. That's the funny cool. thing is, <laughs> the funny thing is, Sabotage is still pretty big, like over in Germany. They're, that's their other audience, if yeah. you will. That's cool. Their other identity. I know I've seen, they had a band called O'Toole where one of the main guitarists was actually like doing acoustic stuff at the Winchester right here in Lakewood. Right. I remember you and, mentioned that. Yeah. He's, and it was like, I'll go see that because they're he's, he's very skilled. And it just is, I love when people do that, when they do the MTV used to do an unplugged version. Right. Right. Be, well, that song really can stand on its own without all the hysteria, without the, all the loudness. The acoustic version of Layla that we slowed it down. Yeah. That's a fantastic. Yeah, example. baby. That's a great example. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I will so, see what I can trivialize next week. Exactly. Great. Okay. Time All to right. enter the real Take world. Care, <laughs>
<laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week. <laughs>